Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. October 31st is uh, really a multifaceted day. Uh, Protestants uh, within the usually the Reformed and Lutheran traditions are celebrated as Reformation Day. Uh, the pop public celebrates it as Halloween. Catholics uh, celebrate it as All Saints Day. But I want to take a moment, and we're going to talk about uh, tomorrow, we're going to talk a lot about, about All Saints Day. But I thought today I would take the advantage um, to talk about Reformation Day, because it. when I was a Protestant pastor, I never celebrated it as Reformation Day. And one of the reasons was that I never thought that the gospel had been lost, uh, you know, for 1,500 years and then gloriously recovered by Martin Luther. I'd always assumed that to a more or less degree, Christianity had continued on through history with its ups and downs, and I figured at Luther's time in the 16th century, that was probably one of those down times, and the church needed purification. But I never thought that the gospel had been, you know, obstructed or obscured to such a degree that it needed some sort of glorious recovery. In fact, at that time, um, I didn't even use the word Protestant to describe myself. I was part of those baby boomers who came to faith in Christ through C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity. And so I always tried to focus on being, quote, a mere Christian. And I didn't want to be tagged or labeled as a denomination or a sect. Even the church I pastored was an independent church. I was its second pastor. I wasn't its founding pastor. But it turned out that I was actually a little naive in this attempt to resist labels. There's simply no way to avoid being labeled. You might not be a follower of Wesley or Luther or Calvin or William Booth, but you're a, fo- you're, you're a follower of somebody, even if it's yourself. So uh, after five years of pastoring, I realized that uh, I was something of a hypocrite. I had been complaining about the divisions within Christendom, but I was myself pastoring uh, an independent church that was not aligned with even any of the uh, major Christian traditions. Uh, I, was, I, was, <laughs> I was like the kid who had murdered his parents and then complained about being an orphan. So I never celebrated Reformation Day because, one, I couldn't celebrate the divisions that followed from it, and two, I didn't think it was a glorious rediscovery of the gospel that had taken place then. I could have signed on to say it was a time of purification, but uh, I never thought the gospel had been lost. So, so somebody says, well, why don't you just become a Catholic then? Uh, there were a number of reasons, but primarily I disagreed about the Marian dogmas, and uh, other problems could be resolved, but the Marian dogmas were the sticking point for me, and it was, thankfully, by God's grace, uh, that was resolved, and I was able to come into full communion uh, with the Catholic faith. I tell the story uh, briefly in a book called Surprise by Truth, uh, edited by my friend Pat Madrid. And one reviewer, that's, by the way, it's a good collection of uh, conversion stories. One reviewer looked at it and claimed that uh, my return to Catholicism only showed that I had a very weak ecclesiology, had a very weak doctrine of the church to begin with. That's true. Um, but that was because apart from Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy, there really isn't, a, in my estimation, a, cohe- a coherent doctrine of the church within 
non-Catholic Christianity. I mean, Protestantism has never been able, from Luther's time on, to settle the question of what is the Church? Where is the Church? Who speaks for the Church? Now, I always want to say how grateful I am for my time as an evangelical Protestant. It was there. Uh, I was outside full communion with the Catholic Church, but I was able to learn to pray, to study Scripture, to stand up for my faith against hostile forces, learn how to share my faith with others. And then after pastoring for five years, the questions forced upon me as a pastor made me reconsider the wisdom of the Catholic Church and also caused me to rethink the Protestant Reformations. Uh, And one of the questions I asked myself was whether the Reformers themselves thought that the Reformation or Reformations was a success. You know, they had two goals. Fundamentally, they had two goals. Uh, The magisterial reformers wanted to renew Christ's one church. They actually believed that there was one church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church. Uh, they, They wanted to renew Christ's one church. And secondly, they wanted to produce a superior Christian, you know, real disciples, on fire Christians, people who really knew their faith. That's the two real goals that the magisterial magisterial reformers had. Sadly, using the criteria of the major reformers, uh, the Reformation, they didn't consider the Reformation a success. First of all, there was no Reformation. From the beginning, it was Reformations, with the plural. Division was there two years of Luther's excommunication. These were theologically incompatible traditions. Only a few years after Luther's call for debate, the divided Protestant leadership conceded that they had failed to maintain the visible unity of the Church. Calvin wrote later to Lutheranism's second greatest theologian, Philip Melanchthon, he said, It is indescribably ridiculous that we, who are in opposition to the whole world, should be at the very beginning of the Reformation at issue among ourselves, end quote. To which Melanchthon replied, All the waters of the Elbe would not yield me tears sufficient to weep for the miseries caused by the Reformation. Disunity had so overtaken the reforming nations that ultimately only the police powers of the state could maintain peace and unity. So the religion of the ruler became the religion of the realm. The religion of the prince, the religion of the monarch, would become the religion of his people. So disunity they did not manage to reform Christ's one church. They did split it. Secondly, uh, they did not produce a superior Christian. Luther himself wrote that, quote, life is as evil among us as among the papists. Martin Bucer, uh, one of the reformers who was strongly ecumenical, Bucer agreed. He said, with us in Strasbourg, there's scarcely any church at all. There's no respect for the word. No one receives the sacrament, end quote. Erasmus, who was the Catholic humanist, himself a reformer and a pretty stern critic of the church, he had a common disappointment. He said, just look at the evangelical people. That was the word that was used to what we call Protestants today. Just look at the Protestant people. Have they become any better? Do they yield less to luxury, lust, and greed? Show me a man who the gospel has changed from a toper to a temperate man from a brute to a gentle creature, and I'll show you many who have become even worse than they were, end quote. Now, in all fairness, uh, Catholics fell under the same severe condemnation. 
God may one day bring great good out of the breakup of medieval Christendom. I happen to believe he's already at work doing it. But it won't happen as long as October 31st is celebrated as a moment of great triumph or is condemned as an irrational rebellion against the benevolent church. Catholics can use this day to invite one another to seek and find the unity for which Jesus Christ prayed so ardently to his Heavenly Father. Before the Second Vatican Council, the various Protestant groups were pioneering ecumenism. Now, with the Second Vatican Council, the Catholic Church stepped in and took up its responsibility to not only explain to others the Church's teaching, but also to understand the outlook of non-Catholics and to engage them. In Lumen Gentium 8, the Council Fathers chose to say that the one Church of Christ subsists in rather than is identical with the Catholic Church. Now, it's worth pondering what this distinction means. The one Church of Christ subsists in the Catholic Church. It means that we recognize a common baptism. If we said that the one Church of Christ was identical to the visible Catholic Church institutionally, we wouldn't be able to acknowledge our common baptism. Baptism does make us brothers of Christ and of one another, members of one body. We are united in some way. We are family. We talk about those who are baptized, who are outside the visible boundaries of the Catholic Church, as, what? Separated brethren. But they're brethren in this one Church of Christ. We say they are in an imperfect communion. It's imperfect, but it's real. In the mind of the Church, all of the baptized are, in some way, Catholic. But not all are in full communion. Catholics believe that all the elements that constitute the Church of Christ are present in the visible institutional Catholic Church. Whether we properly use those elements or not varies from Catholic to Catholic. But the Catholic Church has all the elements. In other words, the Catholic Church is playing with a full deck. Christian communities outside full communion with the Catholic faith are missing some of the cards in the deck. They may use the cards they have better than a lot of Catholics use the full deck. But the truth is, they're lacking the full deck that's found in the Catholic Church. So we say that the one Church of Christ subsists in the Catholic Church rather than is identical with it, because we can't deny that the baptized outside the visible boundaries of the Church are members in some way, and that they have access to elements of sanctification, even outside full communion with the Church. In fact, Lumen Gentium teaches that many elements of sanctification and truth are found outside the visible boundaries of the Catholic Church. Like what? Well, how about the Scriptures? How about baptism? How about a doctrine of grace and the need for salvation? It also stresses that these gifts are meant to drive us toward perfect unity. Quote, Since these are gifts belonging to the one Church of Christ— they are forces impelling us towards Catholic unity. In his encyclical on ecumenism, Utterum Sint, St. John Paul II asked the Christian communities around the world to pray and advise him on how the papacy, the charism of St. Peter, the Petrine primacy, can best serve the entire Christian community in restoring the unity that Christ wills for his church. The papacy, he says, is open to a new situation, not giving up anything which is essential to her mission, but open to new ways of serving all Christians. This is actually how Catholics can celebrate Reformation or Reformation's Day. 
um, remembering that the, what divides us needs to be overcome and to pray for God's grace that he will bring out of this major breakup of Christendom, that he will bring out something much greater. Following his advice, John Paul II's, let's listen to one another, always keeping before us the will of Christ for his church, always allowing ourselves to be deeply moved by Jesus' plea that they may all be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I'm Al Cresta.